Join us in celebrating the power and potential of women with minds in action to MFM's exclusive interview series for New South Wales Women's Week, showcasing Muslim women who are challenging stereotypes and overcoming barriers in healthcare and STEM fields. Get ready to be inspired by their incredible stories as we explore the experiences, challenges and triumphs of these remarkable women who are making waves in their respective fields. Minds in Action, empowering women, one story at a time. For another insightful and engaging conversation for New South Wales Women's Week, we have the privilege of speaking with Nada Kalam, an exceptional woman in engineering and a leader in the energy industry. As we recognise the significant contributions of women across all industries and sectors, we are thrilled to have Nada share her unique experiences and perspectives with us. She is a passionate advocate for women in engineering and has made significant contributions to sustainability and social impact through her work. Today, we will discuss Nada's inspiring journey, challenges she has faced, and how she is using her position to empower other women in the field. Assalamu alaikum, Nada. Thanks for joining us. Alaikum assalam, Nadia. Thanks so much for having me and what a humbling introduction. I definitely don't feel like I live up to your words, but thank you. I think there's not enough time to actually give you the introduction you deserve. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, so Nadia, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, um, so my name's Nada. I was born and raised in Melbourne. I've been extremely blessed to be raised in a loving Muslim family and I also have Indian heritage I studied electrical and electronics engineering from the University of Melbourne and I've recently just completed a diploma in sustainability. I've got over 14 years of experience in engineering, operations, consulting, business analytics, telecoms, investments and funds management. Uh, And separate to all of that, I am a community worker at heart and I founded an organisation called the Muslim Professionals Association. And I was also a co-founder of an organisation called Sister Hub, a think tank for Muslim women called Basila. And I've previously also started up a business which is called Why Waste Waste. MashaAllah, again. May Allah bless you and protect you. That is absolutely astounding (laughs) for a woman your age to have achieved so much in such little time is absolutely magnificent. What inspired you to pursue a career in engineering and how did you get started in the field? You know, the irony is that I never (laughs) was going to pursue a career in engineering. So when I was at school, I went to a girls' school and my teachers at the time told me that uh, you're good at maths, you're good at science, you should do medicine. Mm. And I I knew I had a fear of blood. I couldn't couldn't possibly contemplate doing um, medicine. So I was had braces at the time. So I said, you know what? I love how much my dentist earns, nothing else. I love how much he earns and I want to earn that much. So I want to be a dentist. Um, but I, I, I somehow managed to go to a event, which was a women in engineering, funnily enough, um, mm. for International Women's Day 
event um, when I was in year 12. And I went with my careers teacher and I just loved everything that the women were saying in that session about what they do. And despite the fact that I have an elder sister who's an engineer and she was working in the field at the time and my dad is also an engineer, I didn't really appreciate or understand how wide-ranging the career options are in engineering. And so I had it in the back of my mind, but I was still had all the all the wrong um, inspiration at that age where money is really the incentive. And I didn't get into dentistry and I said, well, I don't really want to do biomedicine and then go in and I don't I don't really have a passion for looking into pe- people's mouths every day. So maybe I should just do engineering because I'll enjoy it and do it as sort of like a fun degree and then I'll go on and pursue something in the health sciences. I... I did my degree partially out of spite because my teacher told me I couldn't do engineering um, and, and obviously more so because I loved maths and science and I loved solving problems. So while I, I made my, my way into engineering, as I started studying it and getting work experience in it, I started realising how broad and diverse the opportunities were and, uh, yeah, 14 years later and I'm still in the industry. So it's obviously served me a lot better than what I was originally anticipating. Exactly. Everything happens for a reason. And sometimes we have an intention or or a will to pursue a path or a career and it's not meant to be for us. So it's quite interesting that you, you know, went through all those challenges to get to where you are today. I mean, for any person, it is quite challenging to figure out what you want to do in life. And it's so good and so positive that you were able to see what works for you. I mean, for most people, the motivation is the salary, the money. You know, when you work in a particular field, it becomes part of your life, a huge part of your life. So you need to do something that's in sync with your passions and your interests Were you also, I guess, someone who had an eye for creativity and problem solving and innovation? Because we know, you know, engineers do work on quite a wide range of projects from designing and developing new technologies to improving existing products or processes. You know, you're you're really working all the time to provide solutions that improve people's lives and contribute to economic growth. Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that because if anyone asked me this probably when I first graduated from engineering or even up to a few years ago, I would never consider myself as an innovator per se or someone who was creative. I'm terrible. Ask me to draw a picture and I'd probably draw a stick figure. Like in that, in in the art sense, I'm absolutely hopeless and I'm unash- unashamedly so. But as you pointed out, uh, being creative is is beyond just uh not just but is, is beyond the arts and is beyond um yeah the more the more pictorial I guess uh artistic lens and creative lens and I, I as I said I never really saw myself as a creative person but what I did have in my back pocket and it's just bread and butter for me uh, being raised in in an awesome family in Australia from a migrant background we have within us this concept of being part of the community. And I really attest this concept of innovation and thinking differently and problem solving really to my upbringing and the way that 
I've been raised to think about problems and think about community whilst also trying to solve problems. And that's not really something that I've noticed more and more that is natural for a lot of people. So when I get a problem, I don't necessarily just look at it as a formula on a sheet or a a, a spreadsheet or just answering a specific problem, but I will go into it from different angles. What does this actually mean for the communities that are involved? What does this mean for the people? What is the impact of First Nations people as part of this? And suddenly you've got something that is traditionally a very technical and straightforward solution that starts getting a bit more complex, but your long-term outcomes are much more positive because you've got a more holistic response Mm. to that issue. So I think when when you use the words creativity and innovation, for me, that is my, uh, that's my identity and that's my, I guess, signature, uh, signature another engineer um, values is that I come with those different lenses. And that's, like I said, that's really not traditional within the engineering space. Absolutely. And that's what sets you apart, I feel, from other engineers in the field. You know, it's really that eye for detail and um, creativity and thinking long-term, thinking about the impact that it would have long-term is really important. And that's what makes the field so dynamic for you. And I feel like that's what motivates people like you to, to keep doing what you're doing. Putting that aside, we know time and time again that we hear engineering is still a male-dominated field. And there are so many women who do face quite a bit of challenges uh, like gender bias, stereotyping and a lack of representation. Then again, women may also face barriers in terms of career development and work-life balance. So I want to hear it from your perspective. What is it like being a woman in engineering? Do you feel that your gender gives you a a different perspective and experience from your male counterparts? Yeah, I think it's a a loaded question because I feel like I have so much to say um, on this topic, but I'll try to cover it as succinctly as possible. When I stepped into the engineering industry and I guess even just being raised as a, a Muslim within Australia who chooses to wear the hijab, um, you you can't shy away from your identity. You know, I can't I can't change the colour of my skin. I can't, and I don't want to change the way I look or what I believe or my value system. And I'm getting more and more comfortable with that. But as I stepped into engineering, I started becoming more acutely aware of those intersectional identities that a lot of us really grappled with growing up in Australia, uh, particularly after September 11. And for me, it was learning things like women in my cohort were being paid less than men, myself included. And this was at a point in a graduate role where we all graduated from a university in Melbourne, um, I graduated from Melbourne University. Other people graduated from RMIT. We all graduated from these uh, well-established, well-known, reputable engineering institutions in Melbourne, degree, and yet somehow our workplace felt that it was okay and justified for me to be getting a 40% lower Mm -hmm. salary than my male counterparts. And I also, within the engineering workplace, have experienced bullying and discrimination And in one instance, I also received a death threat. And that was when I was a graduate engineer and I was in my 
workplace at the time. And so for me, those particular instances and experiences really shook my confidence in the industry and made me really question whether it was something that I wanted to do to put my body on the line to make a difference in the industry and to contribute to a industry that I felt was really in need of not necessarily people like me, but just diverse opinions, people of different backgrounds. And what I feel is that with engineering, because it is an industry that is so complex and in need of innovation, having these types of experiences where women are being paid less or people are being racially vilified or there is discrimination or there is bullying, there really is no time to be dealing with these things. And these should really be in the, uh, they should never have happened, obviously, but I'm so surprised that we're in the 21st century and these continue to be challenges for people with different backgrounds. And it's it's just, it's outdated, it's unnecessary and it shouldn't be happening. But I have been really, really fortunate and privileged because I've got a supportive family and I've got a really good group of friends and mentors who have always been in my corner. And I think if I didn't have that, I probably would have left the industry very early on because I couldn't feel myself being seen or heard or respected, particularly as a young Muslim woman graduate. But having the right people around me, it really gave me a level of comfort so I could face hurdles for all the challenges that were in front of me. And it doesn't make it okay that this was my experience or that this continues to be the experience for so many people, even today in the workplace. But what I see myself and my role, and it's a very small part in a much bigger piece of the puzzle, is that we just by purely existing are changing the trajectory for future generations. And I feel that weight really heavily on my shoulders, but I think it's also something that Allah has given me and it's a blessing and I have to make the most of it. Alhamdulillah. I mean, it comes with a great deal of delight to be able to to do what you're doing despite the challenges and hurdles. You know, alhamdulillah, you are a Muslim woman, a hijabi. You are representing, you have that responsibility, that added responsibility of you know promoting your faith you are a representation a walking advertisement as they say for Islam so you have that added responsibility in addition to the responsibility of being you know a young female in a heavily male dominated field but you mentioned mm-hmm. the importance of having a supportive network how do you believe women in engineering can really challenge and overcome those stereotypes you mentioned you know just existing and, and being there is is doing great um, work to be able to challenge those stereotypes. But, you know, talk to us about some other ways that women can actually um, challenge and overcome those stereotypes in that workforce. Yeah, and I feel like growing up and, and just simply being Muslim women within this society, we have always had to prove our worth to be the model minority in order to be accepted. And I don't feel we need to keep burning ourselves to prove our value. We do what we do with excellence and we exist to do what we feel is appropriate for ourselves and our communities. And we should be very proud of that. 
I think my message for women, particularly male-dominated industries, is just to keep existing and breaking into places where you feel you want to work. But also, as I said earlier, making sure you keep an army of people around you to help you get through because it it shouldn't take another person to diminish your value or to tell you anything other than the fact that you are brilliant and that you shouldn't let anyone take away from your power to thrive and shine. Absolutely, definitely. And, and you mentioned a very key point there that, you know, there needs to be a shift in the way that society thinks and acts. And, and there has been a bit of progress, I guess, in in terms of recognising and promoting the work of female engineers and scientists. But there's a lot more work that needs to be done. And it's about really recognising the value of an individual's achievements, regardless of their gender, you know, and to really work on that, to build on our individual mindset is so important, I feel. And then again, you mentioned that support network um, having those mentors, those peers and, and professional organisations around you to really support you to foster a sense of community and promote visibility. But, you know, as you said, just existing and doing what you do best, regardless of what field you're in, is so important. Talk to us about uh, your involvement in, in founding uh, you know, different organisations like Why Waste Waste and how it ties into your work in engineering and leadership. So I can quickly touch on Why Waste Waste um, and then perhaps I'll dive into some of the other organisations as well. But for me, Why Waste Waste uh, was developed because I was realising that consumerism is quickly depleting our society And I mean this from both resources we have, but also about exploitation of people around the world. And Why Waste Waste was born after I went on a study tour in India. And I saw how dire the waste crisis was in India and the work that small communities were doing there that were largely labour intensive and they were manually managing their waste crisis. And the things they were doing were door knocking to collect recyclable plastics or collecting organic food scraps. And these women who were running this business hadn't gone through an education system. They were from a nearby slum and they had founded this business. The actual business itself was incredible. The only thing that it lacked was technology to help them increase their efficiency and support what they were already doing from a labour workforce perspective, but it also lacked that financial knowledge to figure out how they could make this type of business commercially attractive. And so I came back to Australia and it really shook me thinking about our own waste crisis that we've got in our own backyard where we've got technology at our fingertips. We have a waste system that operates like clockwork to the point where when we Mm. miss a few trucks, as we saw during COVID, Mm. our streets were in mayhem. And we have the privilege of lots of land and technology and resources. And we're also in a waste crisis and it might not be as bad as India, but we don't have that population yet. So I wanted to do something about it in Australia. And I felt that my experience in engineering and social work, I could do more in the social enterprise into enterprise space to bring these two passions together. So Why Waste Waste was really about how can we curb consumerism, which was quickly taking us all over, 
and look at things which is traditionally classified as waste and redirecting it to more purposeful uses. So, for example, one of the projects we worked on was working with a big corporate within Australia and they were throwing away all of their computers because they had cut resources, they'd cut their workforce by half and all their computers, all of their technology, IT systems went, were going straight into the landfill. So I worked with that organisation and a remote community uh, within Central Australia, which was an Indigenous community. And what we did was, all, all we did was just divert what was otherwise going to be put in waste. And these are fully functioning, completely new uh, computers and IT systems, which were just going into landfill because no one could be bothered dealing with it. And suddenly this went to a remote community of Indigenous students who were able to access these resources, which otherwise they wouldn't have been able to, to access or afford. So it's those types of connections where I felt like I was in a very unique position to be able to create those synergies. I was, I was volunteering with Engineers Without Borders at the time, so I had the connection with Central Australian um, Indigenous schools and I was in the corporate space, so I was able to bring those two together. And again, I felt that as a responsibility on me is that I have been given these opportunities and so it's on me now to find out how I can maximise those opportunities to support as many people as I can and and that extends to the other organisations as well that, mm. um, that I was a part of founding. Well, there you go. You know, that's a real life example of how you are applying your expertise and your knowledge to real world challenges. And from that, we can see that you are making that tangible and positive impact on society. And that includes really improving the, the quality of life for communities, reducing those environmental impacts and, and driving, I suppose, economic growth and development. So you really play a, a key role in promoting social and environmental responsibility in your work. And, and what that means is also considering those impacts of, of your designs and projects on people and the planet and really working to minimise those negative impacts and maximise positive ones. But you've also been recognised as a, a young social pioneer by the Foundation for Young Australians, right? Can you tell us more about the social impact work that you've been involved in and how it connects to your work in engineering? Yeah, sure. So that um, the Young Social Pioneer by Foundation for Young Australians um, is largely to do with some of the community work in community organisations I've been volunteering with from a young age. When I think just about the Muslim community, I've been a board member for the Islamic Council of Victoria, um, one of their youngest board members at the time, and continue to serve the community through founding the Muslim Professionals Association. As I mentioned earlier, I do support various women's groups as well, such as Sister Hub and Barcilla. And I've also previously volunteered for a number of different organisations such as Engineers Australia, Engineers Without Borders and the Asylum Seekers Resource Centre. I don't necessarily see myself as someone who's split into different categories of being an engineer by day and volunteer by night, but rather those values within community and the workplace are, are linked and I carry that same other irrespective of where I'm at. So being an engineer and solving problems and being a volunteer 
and giving back to the community that have given me so much are both value sets that I carry through regardless of where I am. And I feel like there is that direct link back into engineering with all the volunteering work I do as well. Can you speak to your experience working on a global business critical project as a transformation business analyst and how it really influenced your approach to problem solving and leadership? Yeah, so that was a really challenging role at the time. Um, My role as a transformation business analyst was for a project where we had to reduce the global workforce of 40,000 people to almost half and focus on sending all technical engineering work to low-cost engineering centres in both India and China. It was my first role where I couldn't actually hide behind an Excel spreadsheet or a technical software, but I was suddenly in a leadership role with only 10 other people who were developing this change which would impact so many individual people. And I was part of the process of of telling people that they'd lost their jobs. And a lot of these people were my friends and people Mm -hmm. I'd worked with for the last few years. I was also streamlining how engineering documents were managed all around the world and then standardising them for India and China. And though I could do the engineering side of this work, that part was quite straightforward. What I learned most from this role was about different leadership skills because at, the, at that time, I was made to be empathetic yet firm in my approach. I was liaising with cultures and languages from all around the world. And I had to show leadership when my own leaders were failing the people who they were meant to be serving. Mm-hmm. And so I quickly learned to step up. And what I learned from all of that was that leadership isn't about necessarily who is at the top of a hierarchy per se, but it's on all of us to present ourselves as leaders every day. And I also learned that a strategy can be put on a piece of paper, but in practice there are people and livelihoods behind all decisions that we make. And that, and this particularly comes from a, a concept of having this Muslim background is that we always have to show Rahman mercy to the people and communities who we work with. And I learned that you can have all the highest positions but you're really only as strong as the team carrying you so I think it was a a mix of all of those different learnings where you'll never learn that in a textbook no one will ever teach you that in fact I know a lot of leaders um, and very experienced leaders in CEO and CIO and COO levels who can't even recognize these types of elements and I'm not saying I'm I'm perfect far from it but it's these details which I feel like a component of our faith and, and a lot of us have this shared upbringing from migrant backgrounds is this concept of giving back and a, a concept of a servant leadership uh, model which we have been raised with, a lot of us have been raised with and I was able to put that into my approach of solving some, pro- some of the problems within this role which um, really I felt and a lot of my team members felt was a value add in the process because it was an element that other people weren't weren't visible to. Absolutely. There are so many principles that are relevant to engineering, um, so many concepts like honesty, integrity, um, professionalism and, and kindness. In addition to that, you have unity and interconnectedness. They all really should be reflected in 
the emphasis on systems thinking and holistic approaches to problem solving. It's it's really important that you really highlight the true meaning of leadership, what it means to lead. And, you know, giving us that perspective in terms of working on a global business critical project. I mean, you were at the forefront of making those complex decisions. Uh, you were the one, you know, perhaps taking those calculated risks, learning from your your failures and working on ways to improve processes and systems. So I feel like, you know, it's a really important aspect to highlight in your career and some of the challenges and hurdles in addition to, I guess, some of the lessons that you acquired in terms of, you know, how we should display our principles and values in our role. It's quite challenging what you do and it's not easy having to wake up every morning and you've got a whole heap of responsibilities on your shoulders. So talk to us about how you balance your professional and personal life and what strategies have you found to be effective for achieving work-life balance? I think a lot of my family and friends will say I still have a lot of work to do in this space. Um, I tend to make work my life uh, and that is not just my professional work but also uh, community work. Um, I I think I've said this, I, I sort of like I keep saying this, but it really does come back to the people around you and having that support system who will back you and make sure that you are going down the right path. For me, I've got a career coach as an example, and she's been absolutely pivotal in making sure that I do keep that balance and I do maintain those boundaries. Uh, I've, I've really, I'm just going to be completely honest and transparent in this interview is I've really struggled with boundaries in my career because I've had this concept of imposter syndrome my whole career where I'm unsure if I've got this, have I got this role just because of how I look? Is it because I'm, I'm fulfilling a gender quota? Is it because of my faith? Like, do, am I just someone who they want for a magazine cover? Um, so I've had all of these things in the back of my head and society keeps telling us and a lot of my peers as well have been telling me, you know, oh, you know, you only got that because uh, they were trying to tick a box. And so that really eats at your confidence. And so what I do to compensate for that, and I see a lot of people like us who do this, is we work harder because we want to prove that we belong. We want to prove that we've got value. And this is like absolutely something I need to do better is, know our worth right? uh, my career coach has been so good at helping me find that in myself what what are you bringing to the table what value do you have what actually enriches your life and makes you a better person and as I was working through this exercise with her and this was just very recently at the start of last year one of the I had just started a new job and she was helping me put again, boundaries in place with with the workplace. And she said, what's one thing where if you could change from your last job that you would want to do differently in this one? And this is going to sound really silly, but I said, I just want to be able to have dinner with my family. Mm. That is one thing that I want to be able to do because I was finishing late at my last job and I never was able to, to have dinner with my family. I was always eating alone because I'd get home after everyone had finished. And she was shocked. She was like, no one... No one in your industry, no one in your peer group has this issue. So why are you not making a home in time for dinner? And I said, oh, well, I just feel like I have to keep going because I don't feel like I've done enough. 
and there's this concept of constant concept of us not feeling enough, not feeling worthy, not feeling valued. And having those people, having people like her, having friends, support systems, mentors, just continually remind you that you are enough and you are worthy. And and that's why I keep mentioning those things because I'm learning it myself, (laughs) is you have to be able to break it. We have to be able to break it because a lot of it is within us. You know, it's, it's, it's this existing trauma that we've got within us that we can't let go of. And there's a lot of psychology that's gone into this about uh, generational trauma, which a lot of migrant communities carry. And I feel like you know, I've, I'm, I'm not an exception to that either. Mm. And so trying to break through that mould is difficult. I'm not going to pretend to be, like I said, I'm still on the journey, but I am feeling like I'm getting better at it. And it is it is really the people around me who have helped me get through that and, and get better at it over time. And that's probably the first time that I hear someone has a career coach. And I highly commend you for that because there's so much that we need to prioritize. And I feel like because we get so invested heavily invested in our work life, in our volunteer roles, that we tend to forget some other important aspects of our life that we need to focus on and give attention to. And that's where, I guess, did you feel that you weren't really establishing those clear boundaries between work and personal life? Um, Because that, I feel, is is essential for achieving work-life balance. And some people don't know how to set specific work hours. They don't know how to turn off work-related notifications outside of those hours. And some people as well don't carve out time for personal activities and, you know, time with their family. So the simple thing of having dinner with your family was almost non-existent for you because of the, the heavy work hours and the workload that you were so invested in. So what are you doing now to change that? Yeah, I think the the existence of a career coach, and, and as you pointed out, it's it really is the investment in self, and we forget that because we're always so busy, as you said, prioritising our careers, prioritising community, but we're only as strong as we can be to be able to serve those respective organisations, community, and our family and our friends, and that, that is also as much a part of who we are and, and faith is to be they're not just for your work or for your profession or for your community. And we are we are whole people who are part of a whole number of different circles that we need to give to. And we can't disproportionately give that. So as you as you rightfully pointed out, I was doing that really poorly. And I acknowledge that. And I, I have huge imposter syndrome. And so <clears throat> it was holding me back. But it was making me it was making me a less developed professional and a less confident professional because I would be my own worst enemy. Mm-hmm. I would pull myself back from promotions because I'd say, I don't think I'm ready. And yet other people, again, within my peer group were putting their hands up, going forward, going for promotions, or taking opportunities that I probably should have taken, but I just had so much self-doubt. So it was, there was, um, I don't even think I realised at the time that, I didn't have a good work-life balance. I was so committed to making sure my professional career was thriving that I didn't really even acknowledge it. And it was really like I went I went in there purely from a 
confidence, support, a mentor, someone who can help me deal with conflict resolution, um, when in, in uncomfortable situations, microaggressions at work, like those types of things was the reason I had originally got a career coach. And uh, the more I've been seeing her, the more she has acknowledged and realised that for me the biggest concern is boundary setting. And so she's been really great at helping me put document boundaries with my current workplace to uh, actually put it into, say, my key performance indicators, to put it into my position description, my objectives, just even letting work know, if you want the best of me, this is what I need. I need to start at this time. I need to finish at this time. Ramadan for me means this. Mm-hmm. You know, I need a press. But it's like all these things that we yep. need to fulfil ourselves, which uh, sometimes we're too scared to ask for. Exactly. And again, I highly commend the fact that you are taking that initiative and taking the steps to improve your mental health and achieve a healthy lifestyle. And most importantly, I feel a lot of, you know, people nowadays, of course, we're talking about Muslims here where they don't prioritize their religion, their faith. That should be at the forefront of everything. That should be at the center of our life and everything that we do. So the fact that you prioritize you know, fasting the month of Ramadan, you did not use your career or your your work as an excuse to avoid your personal religious obligations such as praying and fasting. And, you know, it's great to see that we do have that opportunity and freedom to practice our faith as Muslims in this country where you're at your workplace and you're able to to pray your obligatory prayers because there's a prayer room. So we can't keep putting those excuses and closing the door in our face. We There are solutions to every problem and we should stop Absolutely. giving ourselves excuses, you know, and it's great to see that you take that initiative, take those steps to make your life better because although, you know, you do feel quite fulfilled in terms of where you are at terms of your career, in terms of your life, but there's always room for improvement and that's what you're working on. So finally, what advice do you have for young women who perhaps are interested in pursuing a career in engineering or a related field? Of course, STEM is very important and we encourage anyone to take on those fields. Talk to us about, I guess, the demand for it, the need for it, and the importance of pursuing a field or a career in STEM? It's going to be a very biased response, so <laughs> I hope you're prepared Go for, for it. that. <laughs> <laughs> I think for anyone who's uh, looking to either work or understand the field, uh, which I encourage as many people to have these conversations, is, is talk to people who you know who are working within a science, technology, engineering or maths, um, and they're even now, they're calling it STEAM, so there's even arts now included, so it's, it's mm-hmm. science, technology, engineering, arts and maths, um, because that they all need to work together to solve some of the greatest yeah. problems that we have in society, uh, and discuss your aspirations, so, because uh, you know, engineering is so broad and so diverse, you know, if you want a part-time role, engineering does provide that, if you want to work in an office, you can do that in engineering, if you want to work from home, you can do that in engineering. If you want to be out on a field, in a mine site, uh, working offshore, again, you can do that in engineering. 
um, do you want to be involved in a big scale development or do you prefer working in research and development? There's, there's so many, there's such a wide range of options. You could be a chemist, you could be a site engineer, you could be working on tools. Engineering or, or STEAM, as we call it, is, is such a broad and diverse industry, which I myself didn't appreciate. I'm the type of person who yo-yos, right? Today I'm doing something, tomorrow I'm going to get bored because I want to do something else. I want a new challenge. I want to try something else exciting. I want to solve a new problem. And that's the reason why I've had a more colourful career than imagine sitting uh, over, with all due respect to dentists, imagine me sitting, it's just not me, mm. sitting over a person's mouth. I can't I can't change that. It's going to be similar mouths every day, right? It's going to be teeth, it's going to be a tongue, it's going to be lips. Like, it's going to be the same thing every be... day. <laughs> that's it. That's it. You're going to ask the same questions. Similar. Did you brush? Did you floss? Exactly. Did you brush? <laughs> of course you didn't floss, yes. <laughs> you need to floss. <laughs> same that's it. That's it. So same type of question. And I mean, that, that that's important. That's such an important industry and that still comes under um, the broad realm of STEM. But for me, I needed to be solving more real problems. I needed tangible outcomes. I needed to be able to see them straight away. And, and you can do that, but you can also do things like shaping policy in engineering as well. So I think a lot of people don't appreciate and realise how broad and diverse the industry is. And where you can either choose to, to be in STEM and do the same thing every day, you can absolutely do the same thing every day, or you can be a bit flippant like I am and, and jump to a totally different industry and have skills that are very transferable within multiple industries because, weirdly enough, engineers are in demand in almost every industry. Yeah. I don't think a dentist would take us, yeah. though. Absolutely. And I think it's it's a, it's a really exciting and a rewarding career. It, it pays well. It has a lot of opportunities. You can work internationally, you can work locally, you can travel, you can stay stay put. There are there's a lot of flexibility within this space and you can take it as far as you want it, or, or if you're if you want to be in a very limited comfort zone, you can do that as well. So I am very biased and I will always encourage a career in STEM just because of the huge opportunities that it can present above and beyond what I feel a lot of other industries do. Absolutely. And I just find it quite interesting that, you know, at the beginning of this interview, you did tell us that you wanted to become a dentist. And at the end of the interview, you're telling us, don't become a dentist. Now, don't you are, be a dentist. <laughs> now, of course, you encourage people to do things that they feel they are passionate about and they feel they will excel at. But of course, you have experienced uh, the world of engineering you've seen how much of how much of a high demand there is for engineers how much of you know how many opportunities for innovation there is the job stability the high earning potential um, the, the the potential to make a positive impact and then you've got the diverse career paths um, because you've got research development to project management and consulting but you know you mentioned something and that's you know, if you're up for a challenge every day, some people, Nada, aren't really good problem solvers. So would you encourage them to pursue that field if they're not really good problem solvers? Or is that something they can develop and improve on over time? I I feel like problem solving is purely a, a consequence of people's experiences. And it's not, ne it's not necessary that it's something that's taught in a book. So I mm. would challenge whether people 
are having that self-doubt because they don't believe. I feel like everyone's a problem yeah. solver. Everyone's probably solving a problem. I, I feel like it day. does. I can guarantee it. I feel like it does stem from that self-doubt that I'm not good enough. Because, for example, if I am not good at mathematics, I quickly assume that I'm not a good problem solver. If I didn't do well at maths, mm. then I'm not going to pursue a path in engineering or a, a degree that's, you know, affiliated with maths. So I quickly assume that I'm not a good problem solver, but there are different types of problem solvers, right, in society. Absolutely. And I think it's a real misconception with engineering is linking it back to maths. I mean, you do a lot of math subjects in your degree, but once you're in the work workplace, mm. I, I mean, I don't pick up a calculator at all. <laughs> I'm now in a role where i barely use Excel. I mean, it's it's more about writing reports and documents and processes and strategy. Mm. So it's it's this it's this real misconception that I need to be able to solve a problem with maths. No, well, I need to be able to solve a problem with logic and I need to be able to have rationale behind it. It needs to be backed by either research or data. That's all that the problem solving in engineering is. It's just been so inflated by society that it's, it's really difficult, challenging. Mm. There's all these equations, quadratic equations. There's not. It, it is. It is so far from that. Um, and I think that I think everyone inherently, and again, it's my bias, but I feel like everyone inherently has the ability to solve problems. And it's just, what is your angle of solving the problem? If you can back it up, and if you can put research behind, if you can put data behind it, then you know, your rationale is as good as my rationale. And we could be saying the exact opposite things, but it's it's backed by evidence and proof. And that's that's all that it means to be Absolutely. Um, a problem-solving person. I think, you know, for many people, it's about getting out of their comfort zone and realising that their capabilities are much more than what they put in their mind. You know, there's a lot more potential that we have. We just need to get out there, experience it for ourselves. And it might not work for us. But it's about getting out there and doing something challenging, doing something exciting, doing something that will have a long-term positive impact on your mental health and your well-being and in society and in general, because we all have that capability. We all have something to offer in society. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that we all do the same thing, that we all do engineering or a field, you know, a career path in STEM or healthcare there's an impact that we can make in, in every field. So I just want to thank you so much, uh, Nada, for taking the time to speak with us today to share your insights and experiences. I feel like your passion for innovation, for sustainability and empowering women in engineering is truly inspiring. And we're so grateful for the opportunity to learn from you. You know, your accomplishments, your leadership, everything is a testament to the important role that you play, that women play in driving progress in so many industries. So once again, thank you so much for your contribution to this interview and for being an inspiring role model for women in STEM. No, it's truly an honour to be on this platform and I'm really humbled by the opportunity. So thank you um, for, for taking the time to indulge my my stories. Join us in celebrating the power and potential of women with minds in action to MFM's exclusive interview series for New South Wales Women's Week, showcasing Muslim women who are challenging stereotypes and overcoming barriers in healthcare and STEM fields. 
Get ready to be inspired by their incredible stories as we explore the experiences, challenges and triumphs of these remarkable women who are making waves in their respective fields. Minds in Action, empowering women, one story at a time.